Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are continuing a series we started a few weeks ago called Lydenity. And what we're doing during the series is we're kind of unpacking some of the lies that we believe that undermine our relationship with Christ. Uh, that, that Jesus wants us to flourish. We see throughout scripture, his desire for us is to live an abundant life, uh, not just in heaven someday, but even here on planet earth. And, and what happens is we believe lies that undermine our identity in Christ. And uh, we're, we're walking through this together with some of the ideas from a guy named Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen was a uh, theologian, a scholar, and he had five lies of identity. And we've gone through a few of them. And number one, week one was, I am what I have. Um, last week, Pastor Todd did an incredible job while I was away. And he talked through the lie, I am what I do. And today we're going to talk through the lie, I am what other people say or think of me. Um, I am somebody who I, I kind of fancy myself as someone who doesn't really care what critics have to say. But the reality is all of us care what people say to some degree or another. Uh, all of us want to be liked. All of us want the approval of the people around us to some degree or another. Uh, and those of us who say we don't are lying because we do. Once in a while, I'll get some criticism from somebody in the church uh, or maybe outside of our church, which is actually more common. Uh, I'll get an email or a letter from somebody and saying, here's why you're wrong. And um, even if they are crackpot, even if they are nuts, no matter who they are, no matter how slanted their view is, there's still part of me that goes, no, you're wrong. I'm not a bad guy, I promise. Like, I, I want them to like me even if they might be fringy. Does that make sense? Because we all want to be liked. We all want to be approved of. We all desire that to some degree or another. Now, the, the, the problem isn't that we want to be liked. The problem is that that's where we derive our identity. That I am who others say or think think that I am. That's the problem. And, and one of the things that's kind of crazy is, I never really thought about it this way, but so many times, it's not even just what people say, it's what we assume people think. Um, social media is an issue for so many people because um, we get instant gratification based on likes. So we post something and we get likes coming in for it, right? All these likes, they validate us. They tell us we're right. But have you ever had somebody who didn't comment on your post or didn't like a post and you, it's easy to go, well, why didn't they like it? Why, oh my gosh, they hate me. Why? I thought we were friends, but they didn't like this. They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. And what happens is in the absence of them saying something, we, we assume we know what they're thinking. So we fill in the gaps with our own broken assumptions. Um, and that is unhealthy for our hearts and souls because at the end of the day, we want validation and social media is such a toxic place. And one of the things I've seen, and I wanna help you with this, um, <laughs> college students, high school students, junior high, even elementary to some degree. You don't see it as much in adults, but you can see it in adults. Um, there's, a, there's a derangement that I have coined chronic 
selfieism, and it's when all you can do is take selfies or post pictures of yourself on social media, and that is a problem. Because what happens is, if all you're doing is posting pictures of yourself online and people are liking that, uh, you are deriving your value from it to some degree or another. And this is what I've noticed too. Um, a lot of people on social media, and this is one of the reasons I'm careful about who I follow or what I look at, I think girls have discovered the fewer clothes they wear in their pictures, the more likes they get. So the more affirmation they get. And you can see how this vicious cycle begins, right? Where all of a sudden they go, well, if I show a little more skin, I'm gonna get more likes. I have more validation. People like me more if, and this is a problem. This is real. Now it's not real for people like me. People would not like my pictures more if I showed a little more shoulder in the picture, right? They'd be like, good Lord, block, right? That would be it. But the reality is we get validation from this. We go see people like me. I'm accepted. I'm loved because I get all these likes, because people say how great I am, how talented I am, how pretty I am, whatever it might be. And, and this is dangerous. There was a term that was coined probably in the 1960s by a lady named Virginia Satter. And she was a, a therapist, a psychologist, an author. And she coined the term people pleaser. And her view was that a people pleaser often feels that they have no value except for what they can do or be for another person. And you, you might go, well, Mel, doesn't that kind of sound like a good thing though? Because as Christians, we are supposed to lay down our lives for others. We're supposed to sacrifice what we want for the good of others. That's what Christ did for us. That sounds like an okay thing. And the problem isn't that we listen to the voices around us. The problem is that we, we value the voices around us too much. Um, I'm 44 years old, turned 44 last week. Um, I feel like an older man than I actually am, but 44, and I will tell you this, I'm positive my mom is watching right now, and I still want my mom to affirm me. I still like hearing her say, good job. I want her to be pleased with me. And I don't think we ever grow out of wanting our parents to be proud of us or wanting our parents to affirm us. I think it's always there. And the reality is I'll probably call my mom after church today. I'll be driving back to my house and I will call my mom and inevitably she will say, that was a really good message today. Was it a good message? Maybe not, but she's not objective. She's my mom, right? But she's gonna say it. I wanna hear that. I appreciate her saying that because uh, I wanna be affirmed. This is the thing. The problem isn't that I, I want that voice in my life. The problem would be if that was the supreme voice in my life. If that's where I got my identity and my value, if, if everything else crumbled, if my mom didn't tell me, that was a really good message today. I, I want my wife to be proud of me. I want my wife to affirm me. I want my kids. I want this church. I want those things. But if that is where I derive my identity based on what other people say or think of me, then I am in trouble. That is not a way to live a healthy, godly life. He didn't invite us to live our lives that way at all. There are so many issues that spring up from being a people pleaser. Um, living a life that is chronically about making the people around us happy 
will ultimately lead to compulsive behavior patterns, complicated mental health issues, uh, things like fear of rejection, resentment, frustration, anger, low self-esteem, addictions, bullying, and eating disorders are all linked to living a life of trying to gain the approval of people all around us all the time, being a people pleaser. Finding our identity in what others say or think about us is dangerous. And really, what some studies have shown is that um, when a chronic people pleaser is looking for affirmation, there's a part of your brain that's activated that's the same part of the brain when a drug addict is looking for drugs. They're looking for their fix. The same part of the brain is active. So it's like an addiction for us. It's unhealthy and it's ungodly and that's not what God wants for us. The interesting thing is we call it pleasing, uh, people pleasing, but in, in reality, it's totally self-serving because it's not even about them, it's about us. It's about m- manipulating a situation or an activity in such a way that we can get affirmation, that we can get acceptance, that we can feel comfort. It really isn't even about them. One of the things I've discovered in life is if I live for the applause of people, I will die with their silence as well. We can't live a life to please others. The Bible affirms that. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people, listening to their voices too much, valuing their voices too highly is a trap that we'll fall into. Worrying about keeping people pleased all the time instead of God is an issue for us. And it's a trap. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says this, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Listen to this. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of their heart. Did you see what this says? Our purpose is to please God, not people. Um, I really believe one of the reasons our church has gained ground in our community and has seen some of the incredible things God do in our church is because we have, as a church, purposed that we're gonna care more about what God says than what, what people say. We are never gonna be beholden to somebody because they're a giver in our church. Well, I give a bunch of money. You gotta do what we say. No. If it's contrary to what God says, we're gonna do what God says every time. Well, you've gotta do what I say because I occupy this position or I'm in this role or I've been here a long time or somebody in the community is is critical of us because I'm gonna be honest with you. um, We are probably the most criticized church in our community. And I might be wrong, but I don't think I am because I I, I hear some stuff. Um, I didn't say this in the other services. Apparently we're a cult. Did you know that? Welcome on in. I just need you to sign this paper and drink this Kool-Aid. We'll be good. You're going to forget all your worries, I promise, right? I've heard this, that we're a cult. Um, Do other churches get that criticism? Maybe, but we're the big church in town. We're doing something and we get criticized. I get it. And if all I was concerned about was making people happy, then we couldn't do what God was wanting us to do. In fact, Paul actually says this in Galatians 1.10. This is what he says. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. 
Let me read it to you from the English Standard Version. It says this, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? He said, who am I seeking the approval from? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The King James actually says the perfect servant of Christ, the matured servant of Christ. So what he's saying is there's this line that's drawn for us as believers that we cannot, it is impossible for us to make pleasing people a priority and still please God. It's impossible. If, if our goal is to win the approval of the people around us, we are forfeiting the ability to be able to please God. It is not going to happen. But here's, here's the cool thing. When I make pleasing God my priority, when I say, God, you're what I want more than anything else. I don't care about the voices around me. I'm not gonna value these voices too much. I'm gonna value your voice supremely. What, what, God, does says, uh, what God does is he brings all the other voices into alignment. He prioritizes the rest of them for me. So the voices that I've been valuing that I don't need to value, they're gonna fall away. The, the voices that are important but aren't as important as God's voice, they're gonna fall into place in the right place. I'm gonna value my mom's voice, my wife's voice, my kid's voice, the, the church's voice the right way when I value God's voice the right way. When I say, God, I'm gonna please you above all else and I'm not gonna worry about what the crowd says, what the mob says. Because the reality is we live in a world that, um, that bows to the voice of the mob. We're so afraid of what the voices in our culture are going to say or do about us that it paralyzes us. Aristotle said this. He said, there's one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. If you're doing anything in your life, in your business, in your family, in the church, you are going to be criticized at some point because it makes people uncomfortable. Um, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there are gonna be people in your life who don't like that because it makes them uncomfortable. Because seeing God work in you shines a light into their own heart and they see, man, there are some issues in my life that I don't wanna fix, but this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like your light shining in my darkness. And there's gonna be criticism. The only way to avoid it is to do nothing. Acts chapter five, uh, I love the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter one, uh, Jesus ascends into heaven. He gives them the, the instructions to go wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. And so uh, 500 people receive the instruction, 120 end up receiving the, the, the baptism of the Spirit in that upper room. Um, they go out from there and they preach and Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to salvation that day. It's incredible. Um, and this happens and there are people that are unhappy about it. The, the religious leaders and rulers of that age, they were not thrilled with what was going on because it was upending their authority. It was challenging, um, challenging their leadership and their roles. And so they call in some of the leaders, including Peter, to have a talk with him, to set him straight. He gets called into the principal's office. So this is where we'll pick it up in Acts chapter five. And this is what they say to Peter in verse 28. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, talking about Jesus. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you wanna make us responsible for his death? Before I read what Peter says, let me explain about Peter. Peter had denied Christ. So Peter was one of his most passionate followers. And then 
when Christ was being tried, before he was crucified, Peter denied him. People said, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of the disciples? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that guy is. Hey, you, you're Galilean, aren't you? Weren't you one of his guys? No, I can't even believe you'd say that. I don't even know him. So what happened? The voice of the public overrode his identity. Does that make sense? And here he is facing men who literally could take his life. And, and what we see is that that's what their plan was. They were going to kill Peter for, for his stance. And this is what he says. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on the cross. Does it sound like he's weak in this moment? Does it sound like he's wondering? No, he's speaking with authority, with passion. It says, verse 31, then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Again, he's pointing the finger back at him and saying the people of Israel, your people. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Remember, this is a guy who just denied Christ and yet here he is in this moment, he'd preach the gospel. Thousands of people were saved. He's called into their office. He knows that this guy has the power to take his life but he doesn't hold back. He doesn't cower. He doesn't turn tail. Uh, he, he faces him and he says, you know what? Let me tell you something. I'm not gonna stop preaching the gospel because you threaten my life. Because if I've gotta please you or God, I'm gonna please God. And he says, hey, you people were the ones that crucified him. And he's brought salvation for your people. He's pointing his finger. Can you believe this? Now, what's the difference? In this man who was denying his identity at one point and now was fiercely defending it. And the difference is the day of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit fell on these men and women and it empowered them, it emboldened them to live in their identity, who they really were supposed to be. It emboldened them to not listen to the voices around them, but to listen to the voice of God. It emboldened them to say, hey, I'm not who these people say I am. I am who God says I am. And it allowed Peter to stand boldly in the face of death and continue to say, hey, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. That's the difference. Paul was talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And this is a verse that maybe you've read before if you've been around church. It says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And the world that we live in today tells us we should be afraid, right? And this isn't a political statement, but it's crazy to me that, that we say, um, there is a virus, you should be afraid. But now they're saying, there's a vaccine, you should be afraid, <laughs> The, the virus might kill you, but the vaccine has side effects. And there's always going to be a new layer of things to be afraid of in the world we live in today. There's always going to be something else. And the media and the world is good at telling us why we should be afraid. And the reality is many people have said, that's who I am. I'm afraid. As a church, one of the things we really tried to do is... Um, 
because you got people on one side who says it's a total hoax and it's fake and COVID's not even real. And then you got people on the other side who says COVID is killing every human being. It's like an 88% mortality rate or what, you know, like you've got people on both extremes. And what we've tried to do as churches go, okay, what if there's a middle ground? Like, what if it's not a hoax? And what if it's not killing everybody? We acknowledge it's real, but we also acknowledge it's, it's not wiping out the whole population of planet Earth. So can we navigate this middle ground together? Can we find a place where we can walk together in this? Um, can, can we say, hey, um, yeah, we're gonna be, take caution, but we're not gonna live in fear? Does that make sense? But what's happened is so many people live in fear. We've just adopted and said, that's who we are. And what we see in this passage, and put it back up for me, guys. What we see in this passage is God didn't give us the spirit of fear. That's not who we are, fear and timidity. That's not who we are. But if we're living in that, if we've embraced that, we're living in something that is contrary to what God has for us. What does he have for us? He has power, love, and self-discipline. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. But yet we've identified ourselves in this way. Well, this is who we are. This is who we must be. And we've adopted it. And if you look at this passage in context, in verse six, uh, Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to Timothy and he says, hey, don't, don't be a, a, ashamed of the gifts, the spiritual gifts that you received when I laid hands on you. And so even in that moment, he's saying, hey, the, the gifts of the Spirit, um, don't be afraid of being who you are and who God called you to be. Don't be afraid of that. So even this idea is tucked into this, this scripture about fear. It's not just about fear in this world. It's about the fear of living out our identity in Christ Jesus, who he's called us to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new has, life has begun. We, we talk about this verse in growth track a little bit um, because this word new doesn't just mean new. Like, have you ever been car shopping and you see the different model years and like a 2017 has one set of options, but then the same model in 2018, it's the new model year. And they have, now they've added a seat heater. Ooh, right? It's the same car, they just added a seat heater. That's all they did. Now it's a big deal when they had the seat cooler. Have you ever had the seat cooler? That is like a little slice of heaven right there. Oh, come on, seat cooler. It just feels nice. Uh, you get the seat cooler, now we're talking, right? But really, it's the same car. It's just got another option. It's just upgraded a little bit. And I think sometimes we look at our relationship with Christ this way. We say, okay, hey, I'm coming into a relationship with Jesus. I'm just like I was, except I just have better options now. Like, I've just been upgraded a little bit. Like, God, God spit-shined me and cleaned me. I'm good now. But that's not what it means, uh, this word here actually means different. So it's like, it's like if you had a, a 77 Ford Pinto, you didn't get upgraded to a 78, right? They said, no, 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 no. We're gonna do something entirely different. We're gonna get, you, you were a 77 Pinto, now you are a Bugatti, or now you are a Ferrari. Now you are a Porsche. Whatever your supercar is, that's what it is. That, that's something totally different. They're not even in the same ballpark, in the same zip code, in the same realm of reality. That's what God does in us. He makes us something totally different. And so when we are faced with this idea that, that 
the world around us says, well, you might go to church, but you're the same you. No, no, That's, that might be what you say, but do you know what God says? God says I'm totally different. God says I'm transformed. My old life is gone and new life has begun. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.20, just a few verses down, says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So we are God's ambassadors. He's speaking through us. Some of us feel like we're unimportant. Our voices don't matter. Some of us feel like um, I'm weak. I'm powerless. My voice is meaningless because I'm just, and then we fill in the blank. I'm just a woman. I'm just a child. I'm just a senior citizen. I'm just whatever it is. We fill in the blank. And I want you to know something. This passage, I'm going to adjust it just a little bit. This passage says we are Christ's ambassadors. So we are dispatched on his behalf. When I think of an ambassador, though, I think of like the UN. And it doesn't strike me with a great deal of authority. And so I had to filter this a little bit through my thinking to help me understand it better. Um, I don't know if you have ever seen the movie The Godfather before. Has anybody ever seen The Godfather? A few of you brave souls have? Okay. Uh, I like The Godfather. It is a manly movie. Um, and the movie is about this man named Vito Corleone. He is The Godfather. He's played uh, by Marlon Brando, who is a manly man, and Vito Corleone is um, powerful. You don't want to cross Vito Corleone. He's either going to be your best friend or your worst enemy. There's no in-between. Vito Corleone is a man of great authority, and once in a while, he'll dispatch people from his uh, organization I'll say it that way. They're not a crime family. They're an organization. And he would dispatch people from his organization to have conversations with people. And, and these men were commonly referred to as emissaries of Vito Corleone. And when an emissary of Vito Corleone shows up to your house, he's going to say words. And the words that he is saying are directed by Vito Corleone. They, they carry the weight of the authority of Vito Corleone. If they perform an action, perhaps they have to whack you. They're doing that on behalf of Vito Corleone. It's as if Vito Corleone is there in the room doing it. Thank God he's not asking any of us to whack somebody, right? But this is what I want you to hear. You are not weak. Your voice is not meaningless. You are not powerless because you are an emissary of God. You are representing him. You're speaking for him. You're gonna speak the words he tells you to speak. You're gonna do what he tells you to do and you're gonna act in his authority. And if he directs you to do something, he's gonna give you the authority to do whatever he asks you to do. You're not weak. You're not powerless. You're not meaningless. You have great power and great authority, not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus because we are his emissaries. <laughs> for just a second, I imagined Jesus played by Marlon Brando. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Have you met my son? I'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse, right? Like, invitations to Christ would be dramatically different if we had the backing of the mob, I think. But I want you to know, we are emissaries of Jesus Christ. 
We're not powerless. John 15, 15 says this. No longer, I no longer call you slaves. Jesus is saying this. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Maybe some of you work in places that you've built relationships with the people you work with or the, the people that work for you. And maybe you trust them. But I would bet that there are things you tell your close friends that you wouldn't tell every person you work with. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you're not slaves, you're not servants, because I'm sharing my heart with you. I'm sharing intimate details of my life with you. I'm, I'm sharing my secrets with you. And that's evidence that you're not just servants and slaves, you're friends. See, some of us feel like, like we're sort of like employees to God. Like, okay, he, he loves us because he has to, but he doesn't really want us around. Like, He'll accept us, but he's not gonna share his heart with us. He's not gonna be intimate with us. He's not gonna tell us his secrets. That's not who God is because I'm, I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm too much of a sinner. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I want you to think about yourself the right way. I want you to see yourself how I see you. So this is what he's saying. Here's who you are. You are my friend. You're with me. So I'm gonna share my heart with you. I'm gonna share my secrets with you. So maybe you've told yourself that you're not worthy of being a follower of Jesus, that you're not worthy of his love. I'm telling you, Jesus has said you are his friend. Not only are we his friends, John 1.12 says, but all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26 says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Children of God, what? Now this doesn't connect with some of us because some of us um, have not had healthy relationships with our families. Maybe you had a broken relationship with your mom and dad. And so when you hear this phrase, children of God, you're like, okay, that doesn't connect because your family situation. I'll tell you, I had an incredible relationship with my dad and I still do with my mom. And I love my kids like crazy. And although I love my friends, my relationship with my friends have changed through the years. Distance, time, all these things can cause me not to not love them, but to have a shift in our relationship. The season has ended and I still care for them. I still love them, but it's just different. But I want you to know this. There is no season of relationship with my kids. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how far they run. It doesn't matter what sin they commit. It doesn't matter what crime they commit. They're always gonna be my daughter and I'm always gonna pursue them. Relationship may be broken at some point, but it's not because the father wants it to. It's gonna be because they might want it to at some point. But I'm never gonna stop pursuing them. I'm never gonna stop loving them. I'm never gonna stop wanting relationship with them. And what I want you to hear is this. Maybe you have sinned, maybe you've blown it, maybe you've messed up and you've thought God can never forgive me. God could never love me. You've listened to the wrong voices in your life. What I want you to know is because of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross, we are called children of God. And there is no sin we commit, there's no distance we could run that he is not chasing us, that he is not pursuing your soul, that he is out to get you because he is your father and he loves you. That's who you are. That's who Christ says you are. But we've got to value his voice above all other voices. 
the other, all the other voices say, you've got to measure up, you've got to perform, you've got to be good enough in order to be accepted, in order to be loved, in order to be valued. And what God says is, you're my child and that's all there is. You are valued, you are loved, you are accepted because of that. John chapter 12, Jesus had preached. He had done amazing miracles. And there were a lot of people in this region that just didn't believe that he actually was God. He was the son of God, sent by God. Verse 42 of John chapter 12 says, many people did believe in him, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for the fear the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Listen to verse 43, maybe the, the saddest verse in the Bible. For they loved human praise more than, they, more than the praise of God. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. They wanted the voices around them to affirm them more than they cared about the voice of God affirming them. I would love to say that that was something that we put to bed thousands of years ago, but it's something we still struggle with today. What are the people around me gonna think? What is my wife gonna think? What is my, my husband gonna think? What is my, what will my parents think if I actually am sold out to Christ? I actually surrender my life to God. The sad thing is there are people that believed. There were, there were Jewish people who said, this really is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting on. But then they thought about all the voices in their life and they thought, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I believe, but these voices are so loud. There's a story I've told before, but I felt like it, it would bear repeating. And the story's about a young pianist. And this young man had trained and worked to hone his craft his whole life. Hours of practicing piano. When his big break finally came, he was scheduled to perform at a big concert hall, an entire concert by himself. And he prepared the pieces of music that he would play. He worked like crazy getting ready for that day. And the day finally arrived. The concert hall began to fill. Lone piano sitting in the center of the stage. There was a quiet in the room as he approached the piano and approached the piano bench. There was polite applause from the room as he reached center stage and turned to the room and gave a slight bow. And he noticed out of the corner of his eye, there was a little old man sitting on his right sitting on the very front row. This old man had a stern look on his face. He had his arms crossed. He was unmoved as everyone else gave polite applause. He stood back up and he turned back to the piano, found his seat and began to play. And as he played throughout this concert, people were moved. There was an energy in the room. There was an emotion in the room. And by the end of the concert, the, the room erupted. People stood to their feet, cheering wildly, clapping their hands. And as the young man stood from the piano, he turned back to center stage and he gave a bow. And as he did, he caught a glance of the little old man. While everyone else in the room was cheering wildly, singing his praises, this little old man sat unmoved stern look on his face, arms crossed. As the young man stood back 
up and began walking off stage. He couldn't hold back his tears and he burst into tears. And by the time he got off stage, he fell into his manager's arms and his manager said, what is wrong with you? Why are you crying? And he said, did you see that little old man sitting on the front row? He hated it. And his manager said, who cares what this little old man thinks? They are still cheering. Can you hear the cheers right now? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. That little old man sitting on the front row is the composer of the music that I wrote, uh, that I played today. And if he's unhappy with the way I performed, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. And I fear that for many of us, many people who call themselves Christians, we perform for the applause of people rather than the pleasure of the composer. We would rather make people happy than the little old man sitting on the front row because there's an immediate an immediacy to that. And the challenge of being a Christ follower is to drown out the voices around us and value the voice that really matters. Prioritize the voice of God. Prioritize what he says about us. Prioritize who we are in him, who he says we are, who he thinks we are, rather than our culture, rather than the people around us, rather than our people in our offices, the people in our, on our houses, our families. All those, matter, all those opinions matter, but not as much as the God of the universe. So my challenge to you is simple. Will you purpose to listen to the voice of God and to fix your identity on what he says about you instead of what the world says about you. Because if you will, I promise you'll be healthier. You're gonna be a better parent. You're gonna be a better spouse. You're gonna be a better boss. You're gonna be a better employee. All the other relationships will fall into place if you'll prioritize what God says about you, who he says that you really are. And if you're here today, maybe you've never really surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to know something. Today's your day. He's, he's been pursuing you since the beginning of time. There's nothing you've ever done that he couldn't forgive or love you in spite of. Today's your day. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Lord, thank you for loving us with a love that we can't begin to fathom or understand. Thank you for loving us in spite of us in spite of our faults, in spite of our failures, in spite of our shortcomings, God, you love us anyway. God, I'm sorry for the times that I've listened to the wrong voices. I've, I've valued the voices around me too highly. And I, I pray that God, you'd help me realign myself with what you say about me and who you say I am. So God, thank you for loving me the way you do. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Lord, I pray your, your Holy Spirit would draw us right now. Those that are here that aren't in relationship with you, that have unrepentant sin, let today be the day that they are reconnected to you. They find their place. They find their identity in you. So God, have your way with us. Speak life into this place today. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in relationship with God, but I know I need to be. And so today I, I wanna surrender my life to him. I wanna make him Lord of my life. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. I just want you to slip your hand up real high where I can see it. Yeah, I see you on my right. Thank you. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, Mel, pray for me. I wanna be included in this final prayer. I wanna make Jesus Lord. Yeah, I see you in the back. You can put your hand down, ma'am. 
few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these and say, Mel, include me in this final prayer. I wanna make Jesus Lord. Okay. Yeah, thank you on my right. Thank you in the back. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. The book of Romans tells us that if you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I wanna, I wanna say a prayer with you and I want you to say this out loud with your mouth, but I want you to mean it from your heart, from the core of who you are. So say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. I repent of my sin and I refuse to find my identity in anything other than you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today, whether you are coming to faith or maybe you're rededicating your life to Christ, we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So a couple things you can do real simply. Uh, if you're watching online or you're here in the room, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000. So text Summit PA to 94000 and we're gonna respond back to you and we're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you're here in the room and you'd rather fill out a card, there's a card in your seat back in front of you that says salvation. If you'll, we'll fill that out and then take it over to our information center and they're gonna give you a free gift. They're gonna give you a Bible and help you take the next step in your faith journey. So I'd love for you to do that and get connected with you and help you grow in your faith. Uh, here's what's gonna happen right now. Our prayer team is gonna come forward as I am praying a final prayer over you. And our prayer team and our staff are gonna be here at the front of this room. And if you'd like prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, as we're dismissed today, I would love for you just to make your way forward and find one of them and let them pray with you.